1: I guess I don't mind waiting six weeks if you're going to deliver a night like that. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Gunner. Uh, I do want to apologize if my audio isn't exactly what you're used to. If you're watching on YouTube, my video isn't exactly what you're used to. I look a bit like a Magritte painting. Uh, I got a big thing in front of my face. My travel mic, for some reason, is larger than my regular mic, Um Someone will have to explain to me why I've chosen that at some point, but I will eventually change that uh, away with the in-laws and that side of the family. Uh, So doing what you do when you're away with the in-laws, which is run and lock yourself in a room and record a podcast. I hope everyone had a very special holiday, a holiday that all of us shared, that all of us deeply hold the same beliefs in. There literally is not a single person listening right now who does not celebrate the holiday. Of course, the holiday I'm talking about is Arsenal mess. The, the return of Arsenal after a six-week break for the World Cup. So <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed Arsenal Mas. Uh, and also, if you celebrated any other holiday in the intervening period, I hope it was a lovely one for you as well. Um, and we just love you for being here. And, and what an occasion to be here for, because I feel like they packed six weeks of special stuff into a single night. Um, we had a legend returning to the ground in Arsene Banger. We had... Um, a deficit that was overcome all three of the the front line scoring goals to to keep arsenal top of the table top i should mention ahead of newcastle now not even manchester city which is something that we might touch on and i don't know if i'm excited about that or worried about that but the point is it was an extraordinary evening and i i have to admit like <laughs> in in the first 5 minutes of the game i was like I don't remember the World Cup. I know I did a podcast about it every day. I don't even remember it. So strong is the bond to Arsenal football and so dynamic is Premier League football and Arsenal football that it was just so special to have it back. So we're going to talk about everything that happened. Um, and then there will be a rewatch for patrons later this week because how could you not want to rewatch that and, and many more things coming. Uh, and here to discuss it with me now is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. hello. Hello. Hello, hello, indeed. Um, so, well, Tim, I want to start with you just because I think we should sort of not get this out of the way. It's the wrong way to put it. But but just get the sense of the occasion at the ground and especially the Arsene Wenger being there. And, and if you're not on social media, congrats on your great life. But you're probably missing the pictures doing the rounds, including one of Bukayo hugging Arsene. And he said, like, finally, we met or something like that. Never occurred to me that there's a generation of Arsenal players that literally haven't met Arsene Wenger. So strange. But um, Tim. What I'd love to get from you is really two parts, just sort of returning to the Emirates and what the the mood was like and the feeling was like to be back there, but then how you found out that Arson was there and how that sort of transmitted through the ground and ultimately into the one Arson benger cheers, which were... Then followed by even lustier uh, Mikel Arteta songs as well. So mm. I, I loved, I loved the way that that played out. But yeah, how did how the experience feel in general? And then how did
2: how did that information filter through to you? Yeah, sure. So just on the experience of last night, everyone was just clearly gagging to be back. One of the reasons that Boxing Day is one of the most treasured uh, fixtures in the in the English football calendar is, and it's exactly how I felt yesterday. Because you come to a stage where you want to get out in the house. You know? I, had, <laughs> I, I basically hadn't been outside since Christmas Eve, uh, you know, trapped with a two year old. Um, no, not really. Obviously, I love my daughter and treasure every single second. I, I, I spend will tell her. you, Tim, where I live. <laughs> You are not able to get out of the yeah. house because you will it's die it's of frostbite.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, exactly.
2: yeah. So everyone's gagging to get out of the house. And look, my kind of coordinates for the evening. I had to go to I had to go to the Tollington, where I don't usually go, um, but just quickly, just to to meet someone and, and pick up my tickets for Brighton um, on New Year's Eve. And I got there at five o'clock, just before five o'clock, three hours before kickoff. And I left at half past five and they were already doing one in, one out. It was like, it was shoulder to shoulder, absolutely rammed in there. And I walked um, to the pub I usually go to, which is like on the other side of the stadium. So I had like a good walk around the stadium, like two and a half hours before. Uh, I walked past the Gunners pub, full, absolutely full to the brim, people spilling out into the garden. Um, And then up to the pub I go to absolutely full i mean it's, it's quite a small pub so it's always quite full but outside was full inside was full it was just the whole place was just heaving and this was ages before kickoff and it got to a stage where you know getting that last drink was hard work like it was hard <laughs> to fight your way to the bar and you know it, 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 so there was a there was a real like intense intensity. There was like an electricity and an anticipation, and it was a really nice antidote because all of us, I think, have spent um, you know not just us on this podcast, our listeners, most Arsenal fans have probably been you know the last six weeks kind of sitting indoors watching the World Cup and thinking. Oh, how's Eddie and Katie gonna replace Gabriel Jesus? <laughs> and are we gonna keep up this momentum and everything like that? So it was a real nice um, I don't think antidote's the right word, because there's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, we've all been doing it, but it was just a really nice Ah, oh, people are really excited about this. And so there, there was like a really good atmosphere in the build-up and everything like that. As as for the Venga thing, how we found out was perfect because his face flashed up on the screen after the second, like in the immediate aftermath of the second goal while Mm. everyone was celebrating it. And so that was the highest point of the night where people were at that, like the endorphin release was huge. And at that point it was kind of, I don't know whether that was done on purpose, um, you know, or whether like whose footage they were using, who the director was. I don't really know how it works on the big screens, but perfectly choreographed moment for that to happen at the highest point of the game and for everyone to really recognize it and I think the fact that it was like a nice surprise really played into some so obviously everyone's endorphins are rushing we've just scored that second goal everyone's happy and so obviously there's going to be more of an outpouring but I I do also think the fact that it was a surprise um, and so there wasn't this, oh, Wenger's here tonight. How are they going to? Do you know what I mean? Like, and it, I think it hadn't
1: filtered through from social media because that I, I sort of no.
2: assume, you know, nowadays. Not well, for no. me. Mm, interesting. Not, not for me. Um, and, and yeah, and so the fact that it was that kind of nice surprise, and then you got that kind of outpouring. And, and I think, like, I, listen, I'm sure the man himself would kind of rather no one knew at all. Um, or maybe, like, some photos snuck out afterwards. But I, I think he'd have liked it that way as well because I know what he didn't want was he's never wanted to feel like a shadow. Or, you know, when David Moyes was at United and every time United conceded a goal, it's Ferguson in the stand and all of that. Yep. I know he never wanted that. And afterwards, I started to compute in my head and I was like, how many of these players did he actually coach? And it's really only Jacka, um, and then there was, I think there's and like Rob Holding um and players like that, like not many players at all were were even coached by Wenger in this team. Um and so I think there's enough distance there. There's been enough time. And and it was nice because like, you know, maybe there could be still some link, but I think it's the right time just because Arsenal are doing well. And so any like ill-feeling or any kind of I I fully admit I still hold some of that. The latter years were a real grind and my least enjoyable time supporting Arsenal. And I admit I hold a tiny bit of resentment for him for that because I think he could have ended it. Um, And I think he should have, but he was holding on. But this... Do you know what it reminded me of in a little little way? It reminded me of Henri scoring that goal against Leeds in 2012 Mm. because for Mm. me, that wasn't just a legend returning. That was... Like things, I think, hit a little bit of a bum note at the end with Henri. And that was him coming back and saying, no, 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 no. Like, actually, if there's 1% of an edge taken off my legacy, I'm taking it back. And that's what this felt like. Like Arsenal are going well at the moment. They're going well with a manager that Arsene Wenger brought to the club, with an academy director that Arsene Wenger brought to the club. Who's he sitting next to in the director's box with a big smile in his face? Edu, who he brought to the club. So even though the actual players perhaps his influence isn't really there anymore which clears the way for him to come back anyway and arteta f- clearly feels comfortable enough not just comfortable but he wants that and that's because he feels secure and comfortable and, every- and and it just it felt like the right it felt like the right time anyway and then him coming up on the screen at the at the happiest moment of the night was was just perfect really
1: Yeah, it was lovely. And let's be honest. I mean, I'm sure it's hard for him too, because my guess is as long as there's breath in his lungs, Arsene Menger will feel he should be managing Arsenal. I just think that's who he is. So I'm sure it's hard for him to sit and watch it. Um, You know, it's like great athletes, right? They always feel like they could put the kit back on, run out onto the pitch and, and make an impact. And I'm sure he feels the same way, but I'm glad uh, that he was able to make this return. It had to happen at some point and I'm glad it has. And I think Arteta deserves credit for the way he's handled it, right? He didn't overdo it. Um, He wasn't obsequious. He was appreciative. He struck all the right notes. It was just really well handled. I'm happy for it. So, Clive, I think we can probably skip past that because we have so much football to talk about. And one of the things we could have been talking about if it wasn't a more interesting game is the lineup because we got all our players back. The only one I think that was in doubt was Saliba. He did start. Um, I wonder if in hindsight, Mikel might have, considered giving him an extra day. I think he was the one who looked the rustiest, having not really spent any time with the group. But, you know, we we did have the lineup we thought we might have. And right from the start, it looked like Arsenal football. And the interesting thing, Clive, is how different this night could have been were it not for the tiniest nick of a touch of the heel of a boot of Bukayo Saka that until I saw a halftime replay, I didn't even understand what it had meant because... Um, Odegaard plays a beautiful through ball to and Nkedia plays a beautiful back heel to Saka. Saka smashes it in the net. It's a typical Arsenal goal. It's a sensational way to return. And we were up and running. And, you know, we should talk about it because it could be lost to history. I thought that was a beautiful goal. I thought it was a brilliant play by Nketiah. Would have been a nice way for him to get some of the nerves out had it stood. It didn't. Um, what were your thoughts on that moment and trying to parse the offside thing? Because it took me until halftime for me to even understand why it had been ruled
2: out.
3: Yeah, I think this night really was about answering questions. And if that goal had gone in, we'd have won four nil, and we'd have answered very few questions. In hindsight, now knowing the result, I can sit here and say I'm glad that goal didn't go in because we found out who was who was rusty, who was who was not quite on it. We found out that our timing wasn't quite right, and I, and we found out how we had to work back from something. So all of us are sat in our in our houses watching the World Cup, pretending that was the most important thing in the world when actually we all know it isn't. And then we, we get back to the real football and and basically we've all got questions about certain players. Whether it's Ben White, whether it's Saliba, uh, whether it's Eddie. Will Saka Martinelli come back in shape? How will they be affected? Is Shaka okay? Odegaard's been there carrying the whole ship on his shoulders. How's he going to be? And anything, if anything, the way the night transpired... Everything got answered, and so I, I wouldn't take that moment back. I think we wouldn't have learned anything with the storm through them. We wouldn't learn anything now. We've learned about the resilience, the mentality. Who's hot? Who was rusty? Then got hot. You know what I mean? And then there literally some people played themselves through into games. I, I was on my I was doing some training this morning, thinking about the podcast, prepping, and in the Discord, have a little chat with them, and I'm thinking. You know what? I'm glad this went this way because now I feel more confident about the next steps. Because we just had a little bit of darkness thrown over us for a short period of time. We don't. We haven't spent much time behind all season, and then we found out that some people really can step up. Bukayo being the man, the one of them, Odegaard. I mean, they just went to a new level for me, and I don't think we find that out. Without maybe even Jesus' injury, we don't find that out in the in the way that this game transpired. And sometimes at first provides you an opportunity to see something else in the team. And see the team tactically evolve. We spoke about it last night. I thought of some tactical innovations in the setup, in the structure. The diamond setup with Martinelli and Saka push much higher, narrower, coming inside. I think this is this is one of the most exciting games that I've not been to. And that was a bad decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a real bad decision. <laughs> and I could have changed it. It was in my power. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> one of the most exciting games that I have not been to. Just purely from a, a questions-answers perspective and a tactical, nuance perspective. I thought it was excellent. Um, can I just say one last thing on Venga? Uh, yeah, uh, please. Mm-hmm. I think... Again, another question answered about Arsene Wenger, the man we've all grown up with. I'm hoping he's looked around and realized you don't have to be in charge to find your space within the club. I think Mm -hmm. he may walk away and say, I've got a space here, they want me here. I don't need to walk away with my structures and, and my biases and how I feel. Can I give something back to this club? Love him or hate mm-hmm. him, there is no way I can sit here and be honest and say to you guys, he's not a massive part of my life and, my, and our history of our club. And it feels wrong to me that he had zero role to play within how this club feels. I'm looking around social media today and I'm looking and I'm looking at him with the players. And for yeah. me, the club just feels a bit bigger. Do you know what I mean? And uh, Mm -hmm. the world was watching us. There was no other game at that time. It was the perfect advertisement for Arsenal Football Club last night. Perfection. Adversity, overcoming. History, meeting the present, mate. Tim's nodding because I know he felt it in the ground. (laughs) Um, I really, really walked away with a real positive feelings about the game.
1: And this thing Tim won't have picked up on uh, because he didn't have the luxury of listening to TV commentators. I'm sorry, Tim. I, kn- I know you probably missed out on that. But <laughs> um, something is changing about the way we're perceived because normally, you know, big moment at home, team near the bottom comes and takes a lead. And you'd have commentators being like, well, there's the soft underbelly of our soul, blah, blah, blah. But it was it wasn't like that. It was – you know, if Arsenal keep playing this way, they're going to get something from this and their football is just so great. They're unlucky to be like the commentators. There seems to be an understanding that we are actually good, that the football we're playing is good and effective. This isn't, you know, some of the stuff we saw, you know, with, with all due respect under Arson in the early 2010s where we could attack beautifully, but we had a soft underbelly and, you know, we, we were vulnerable to a sucker punch. There's a tremendous amount of control and domination exerted and everybody's really noticing it. Um, I think one of the things that I expected with Jesus being out happened, which is the right-hand side really flourished and it took a little while for the left flank to, to come to life, and maybe we'll talk Tierney's involvement in that a little bit. But, you know, after the offside goal, it was just a barrage. And there was this through ball from Odegaard to Shaka that's you know one of the most clever things I've seen to just split the middle of the defense from about... 40 yards out, he just fires it through the middle, and Shaka gets—I I thought he wasn't on his toes. Clive told me on the instant reaction he gets bumped off his run a little bit. We'll see that on the rewatch. Um, Odegaard sets up Shaka again later on, but, you know, Shaka's—he just didn't have the quick feet in the tight space. Then Odegaard almost gets in. Um, there was this awesome throwout from Ramsdale— That sends Shaka away, does a brilliant job to play in Eddie. Eddie's a little indecisive. He had Saka to play in. Then he thinks he wants to shoot, loses the opportunity. Saka then heads down beautifully like a flicked-on header to Odegaard at the near post, and the contact isn't quite right. I mean, we were all over them, Tim. And then totally against the run of play, it's the penalty. And the one thing I'll say about this team this season, we suppress shots, we suppress chances, we're, we're really good. If you go back to the beginning of the season, you'll remember we we let a lot of bad teams back into games with dumb moments um, early on. And this was sort of redolent to that because West Ham weren't in this game. They were trying to hit the big diagonal. It looked like they were targeting Tierney a little bit, getting that side. If you look at their pass map, there's a lot of long diagonals up our left defensive flank. Nothing going Ben White's way because Ben White was just imperious all night. But what did you make of that moment? I mean obviously from the ground it would have been hard to see if it's a penalty or not but I think the original sin is that Saliba lets himself kind of get turned and then he's got to recover I think Tierney's slightly out of position when the ball's hit over into that direction so Saliba's on an island I guess I guess it's a penalty it felt harsh in a moment because we would had a marginal offside that was offside go against us then a very marginal penalty call go against us what's your take on that sequence there?
2: Yeah, I so <clears throat> I, I think I completely agree with everything you said about the way Arsenal played in the first half and um it's one of those times, you know, sometimes um you want to tweet something at half time, sometimes you don't do it and you regret it afterwards because then all your analysis looks post hoc and then sometimes mm-hmm. you do it and you regret it <laughs> because you say so you're you're perhaps going a bit too strong. But Odd takes I, exposed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I um I, I think uh Lewis Ambrose just tweeted and said, We're playing fine. And I mm-hmm. kind of quote tweeted it and said, yeah, like this is like, just need to sharpen up in the final action. That's all that needs to happen here. And yep. what we're doing, mm-hmm. will look, there's going to be a game sometime where we dominate like this and maybe we lose 1-0 or draw 1-1 one, one because it's one of those days. And so you can't rule out the possibility that that might happen. But I was just like, if we keep doing this, We'll either win or it will be a, that once every 30, 40 games freak result. That That's how I felt. On the actual goal, we conceded. So I don't necessarily think it's Tierney personally that West Ham are targeting. What they're targeting is that space because our left backs, by instruction, very rarely actually in it um, because True. that that's why a lot of teams... You know that that's why when um you know I maybe Pep was the first person to start doing it kind of inverting fallbacks, one of the reasons no one ever did it before was because no one no one thought it was a good idea to take your fallback away from that space but but we do, and Tierney again by instruction was inverting, so I think it's more that space, and when you look at it when it when it unfolded, my initial response was, well, why is Saliba making the slide tackle at left centre-back when he's the right centre-back? That must mean we're stretched. And it does. And the reason we're stretched is because that's our shape. Because Gabriel, like Tierney or whoever the left back is, goes and inverts. That means Gabriel has to scuttle over and kind of play left centre-back and Saliba scuttles over. And... They they went in behind Gabriel and Tierney, and that is the vulnerable space for Arsenal. There's there's just no questioning it, and that's it's where Man United were able to expose us. You have to be very very precise to do it, but you can do it. That's the one area of the pitch we potentially leave, and generally, we rely on the kind of the individual magnetism, physicality, whatever you want to call it, of Gabriel and Saliba to go and put out fires. Just so happened that time. You know, maybe a couple of them were a couple of seconds slow, and I I agreed with what Clive said on the instant reaction about the two centre halves. No, no drama. I just think they look like two guys who haven't trained together for six weeks. Because guess what? They haven't trained together for six weeks. Like Saliba comes into the team because Tomiasu just can't seem to get himself fit. So there's kind of a need there, you know. But he hasn't played a lot of football and he hasn't trained with his teammates. And and what is he? Half a second off. And he's slightly... And it's not even like... He doesn't clean him out. It's a slight clip. It it, it is a penalty, I think. But it's just like... He's half a second off because he hasn't trained for six weeks. Give him another week. He's over half a second earlier. Bang. He takes the ball towards the corner flag. We pass out. No trouble. So... I think it's just, that was the space West Ham were aiming for because it's the only bit of the pitch we give up and usually we can cover it well, but we just didn't cover it this time. Maybe it wasn't because of rustiness or whatever. Like It could just be that the players made bad decisions or whatever. But yeah, that's my take on it. Everyone was half a second slow and that's that's just kind of what happens. And I wasn't enormously worried about us being continually exposed there. I thought, okay, West Ham are hitting and hoping. Um and to be fair, when you look at the way West Ham play, what they what they usually do is they have uh Skamaka up front and he goes right over into that space for flick-ons and Jared Bowen plays around him and chases the flick-ons. They're basically a front two. That's how those two play. And you saw later in the game West Ham went full four four two and they put Bowen up front, but really Bowen's like a wide, like a Theo Walcott style wide striker and they stick a big man next to him. So they do play like that. But yeah, I I, I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh God, West Ham are going to do that again two or three times because you have to be really precise. And it was half a second in it. Yeah, not much there, Clive.
3: Yeah, Tim actually, I was going to add something but Tim they spotted it brilliant at the end there what they do they just go long in into antonio so all we had to do was manage the first ball that's all it was and what we were doing gabriel was not just winning it he was winning it and then running forward about three four yards afterwards getting excited in the trade we call that he goes fishing so he goes fishing now fishing's okay long as you get on the piston and you fall in behind him but no one did Right, So Saliba now is on his own, and he let the ball bounce, let the situation control him. When he's super sharp, he's over there. Deal with it. Deal with the ball. Don't let the ball and situation control you. You control the situation. So I just felt we just need to just tweak our tactics on the first ball. Let Thomas Party win it, then drop off. Do you know what I mean? So that connection, they call it you need to pass somebody on. So a striker will start deep, and then roll in behind the holding mid. So when he disconnects from the centre-back in Gabriel, you need to say, he's coming, and Thomas Party can then get on toes and then head that way. So it's just, mate, it's just the fact we talked about it this long, I actually feel bad because there were so many more good things. I just wanted to explain the details behind what was happening there. And that's all they were doing. And that is not high percentage stuff on your statue, is it, mate? Flick-ons, not going to work.
1: I said this on the instant reaction pod, but I think it bears repeating because, of course, I think it bears repeating. But (laughs) I'm going to repeat it whether it does or not. Which is, I think, the reason that most of us felt comfortable at halftime, or you know, as comfortable as you're going to with a one nil deficit. And the reason the commentators were praising us is the football we're playing is very high percentage football. I mean, we had 72 percent possession in the first half, most of it in the attacking third. You know creating little spaces, cutting them open a little bit. All right, we didn't quite have the decisiveness in the final third. You know, the, the decision-making with the last ball wasn't quite right. There were quite a few chances after the, the penalty where I think Eddie just chose wrong, you know, in the moment. Um, and obviously, we'll talk about how he corrected that in the second half. But when you keep the opposition hemmed in within 18 yards of their own goal, two things happen. It's much harder for them to score a goal from there. They got a long way to go to create a goal. Right. And if they go that long distance, it's very hard for them to get the numbers there you know, numerically to have the opportunities. The other thing that happens is you just create the opportunity for chaos to go your way. And and we will come to the SACA goal, but like the SACA goal is the kind of goal you you deserve when you have five guys in the box and the ball in, in in the attacking third all game because a scuff, a deflection, a redirection, where does it go? It goes to your player. All it has to do is go to your player one or two times a game, and that's a goal. And it's an extra goal you get from the pressure you exert. And I love the football we're playing now because not only is it consistent, like the thing that's so crazy is, think about this. When you sit down to watch Arsenal these days, are you wondering what we're going to look like? Not really. You can picture it in your head. We're going to have the ball. We're going to be in the attacking third. Here's the formation of the players. Here's where the structure is going to be. Here are the connections and the movements. We consistently repeat our dominance. And ultimately... That plays out. And, I, you know, I mean, when you watch Spurs, if you ever do that, and I don't recommend it, you see the difference. It's a struggle bus. Maybe the brakes go for them, maybe they don't, but it's always just right on the razor edge, and we lived that life for a couple of seasons. So I, I love the way we play because I think, similar to what City do, it's, it produces so many more opportunities to win a game. And there are a couple of players I want to get to, but Clive, you have, you have a thought on that?
3: Yeah, and as you were saying it, I'm sure the listeners saying, well, why has that happened? And I have, to, I, have to, I have to say it, right? It's our technical level, particularly at the back end of our pitch. It is so yeah. high that we keep the ball. When you keep the ball, you have control. We have control, those margins we've been speaking about, for the last two to three years, go, go our way. You know, so it's You look at just Look at the back door. Look at Ben White's lever, Gabriel. Particularly when Zinchenko came on. I mean, gee whiz, you know, it's like it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and when you see have that that control of the ball, your body shape, receiving, always making sure that the player with the ball has got a line or two in a triangle to get out of any pressure, then people say, you know what, I'm not going in there again. I'm going to drop in. And that's what happens. And otherwise they get popped around. The technical level of the players in the back end of our pitch, including our goalkeeper, is just gone up by that
1: 80%. But but I just want to say too, it's it's also the work rate of the players, and that flows down from Arteta. This easy dominant football we play is built on the back of tremendous hard work by the players because they have to get to their spots one player moves the other player has a place he needs to be and he cannot be a foot wrong when you're pressing if you're late you get beat you get scored on when you're breaking out from the back if you're not in your spot you get trapped against think of how many times our fullback gets the ball near the touchline once upon a time guys hector bellerin trapped against the touchline right Colasinach lost the ball Scored on, right? I can think of a Liverpool game that happened. Now what happens? Ben White gets the ball. What happens? Thomas Party's there for the square pass. So you get the little square pass to Party. Ben White goes through. Thomas Party gives it, you know, either up to Odegaard or over to Shaka because everybody's rocked around in the position. It, it's just super coordinated. But Clive, the the guy that I think stood out in the first half of this game and really became the fulcrum on which the performance pivoted was martin odegaard and like there was a time as we were transitioning to this dominant arteta football where thomas party was the guy making it happen because we were still a little deeper and we were still a little playing back to front and so party really made us tick because he he connected those dots not that he's not making us tick now but now that we have the ball in the attacking third more and up the pitch more the guy who's really making us tick is the guy between the lines between midfield and attack and that's odegaard and his control and his touches and his vision in this game from the start was sensational, and it just kept getting better and better and better. I, I, I think it's important that we, we recognize the level this guy is going to because six shots, four key passes, I mean, he is, he's, he's kind of Fabregasian in his influence now in how he touches every piece of how we attack.
3: Yeah, I'm going to leave some on the table here for Tim because I know he loves a eight stroke ten player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sees them quicker than me, and um, I, I do think your last point, Elliot, are are really valid. It's the influence part. I mm-hmm. think he's growing into himself as a, as a person, and he's decided to, uh, his time at Arsenal is going to end up with something good <laughs> happening. You know. I think that's really important. I think he as Dog had, wants to get a word in on Odegaard as well. Yeah, when I'm not done. sure what's happening there. <laughs> Someone's coming to door. Amazon Man again. More presents, <laughs> late presents. No, I think, um, yeah, I, I just think his influence is it's, it's, it's impossible to me. Technically, we can see him, right? Really, we can see him. But his desire to just overlay the whole game, all aspects of the game, and to help his teammates to receive the ball and then come out of pressure and always make the right pass. Just the way he strikes a football, whether it's soft, clipped, hard and low, he's just got so many shapes on it. And he almost de- takes everything by the way the pass is given. And so when the ball arrives at someone's feet, you can they've only got one thing to do with it. And uh, I must admit, the details, of particularly second half, the details of our performance, just the ball arriving on the right foot at the right time, I thought the details were really, 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 really good, but yeah, his influence is the one. And if you think back to our recent captains, and Tim will probably list them off in two seconds flat. When we even going back to William Gallas, not not with any pleasure, I'm going to tell you that. (laughs) Let's just let's just start. Should we just start from Gallas? I mean, the reasons why we put these people in position are just so wrong. They just epitomise things that are not right of our club. Oh, we we're putting people captain to keep them at the club. Now we've got mm-hmm. someone that represents the club where we want to go and how well we want to get mm-hmm. there. And I think that's just a smart smart decision in hindsight.
1: He represents where we're going from a technical level too, Tim. I mean the 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 thing with Odegaard is you get you get the sort of fun, skillful number ten kind of stuff that that that's easy on the eye, but you get the grit and the work, and the snide little tackle to stop a, a counterattack, and you get a lot of leadership in the way he plays generally, not just the fun, extravagant stuff. But I, I think the level he was at at this game really dictated the, the way we controlled the game and the way we created chances, especially as, as the game wore on in the second half. I mean, the guy passes it like 93%. He's not playing center back these are passes inside the final third. These are passes inside the penalty box, you know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. He's the the thing that really, there's a couple of things I'd say about Erdogan because like everyone saw the performance, right. And it's, it's really up there with the kind of Urzel against Leicester, um, you know, those special performances that really stick in your mind or, you know, when Fabregas came on against Villa that time with like one hamstring and won us the game in five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And, it's and yeah just every touch every detail like clive said but there's a there's a couple of things here i think first of all the intensity with which he does it really matters like he's a very modern playmaker uh and you know arteta picked out what he did off the ball as well he said like in his post match press conference you all saw what he did on the ball but what he did off the ball was great and that's really true he but like when he has and possesses the ball like we can see he's a super talent right like it's been obvious since he was 15 there's there's a reason real madrid signed you when you're 15 years old Yeah. it's because you're you're a mega talent so he has that in his back pocket but he could easily be like a luxury playmaker and he's not he like and it's not just off the ball when he has the ball at his feet you can sense the intensity and and the purpose and everything's like the ball goes at like the right pace, like it's brisk, everything's brisk, his movements are brisk, Um, which is how he's able to get away from people, like even in tight spaces, that nutmeg on Paqueta, by the way, um, that was right below me, and now Lucas Paqueta, is, is a player I know pretty well, like he prides himself on being like a playmaker, and He's a very skillful player and all of that. And I, I'm not sure if, if the camera quite catches it, but I saw it like just after Erdogan runs away, like he does a little hop, like a frustration. <laughs> and it's a kind of, I've been done there. I've been done. And it's, it was a kind of game recognises game moment because he's a really <laughs> good player too. And he's a bit like, I think, I think you feel it a bit more when if you're a centre-back or something, you kind of think, well, that comes with the territory. I'm going to get nutmegged. It's just the way it is, mm. but... When you're like a bit of a flair midfielder and you get done like that, I think you feel it a little bit more. But So there's the intensity angle. But the other thing that I really look for in like super talented players is like what are the flaws in your game and what do you try to do about them? And that's the thing that I loved about Fabregas, right? Fabregas came into our team. He was our playmaker, getting assists, blah, blah, blah. But he was getting like two, three goals a season, and then he came back for the 7 08 season, double figures like that. And he clearly, clearly went away and said, okay, like he was the best player on the team. He could have just stayed there and still been the best player on the team. But he was looking and like, I need to score goals. That's what I need to do. That's my next step now. That's where I need to go. And he worked on it and he did it because he's got the talent to do it. Um, and look, We'll talk about Eddie later, uh, I'm sure, because I'm going to insist on it. But it's not that <laughs> easy just to say you need to improve there, so go and do it. It's hard. This this is the elite level. It's so hard to just say I'll go and work on that, and you'll be fine. Like it's so hard. And so what's what's like been maybe our one complaint about Erdegaard? Maybe not shooting. Maybe not taking that responsibility. Who took the most shots last night? You know, so as well as all those lovely touches, the nutmeg, the through balls, you know, the yep. assists the, when it actually comes is is a shot from twenty five yards, which <laughs> he messes up. But that's what he wasn't doing last season. That's the thing. During the summer, we all spoke about it. This is what we want to see from Erdegaard. He's got to get into double figures for goals. Is, is he still our top scorer this season? Yeah. Um yeah. I believe like, so right? so that tells you this mega talented guy who has the keys to the team in his hand has the captain's armband and everything. He could relax on that, but he's gone away and gone. No, I need. I need to get into double figures for goals. How do I do that? And and like I said, it's not just as easy as saying, "Oh, I need to get into double figures for goals." So why don't I just do that and take more shots? Like <laughs> you've got yeah. to think about like, how do I get those shots off? What do I do with my body to give myself the the, the extra half yard? You know, when when do I make decisions to shoot and when do I make decisions to pass to better placed teammates? And that's not easy. And to do it quickly like this, like we're just basically we're just seeing a more assertive player, I think, who just looks totally comfortable in his own skin now. And we're, we're, we're getting, and that's when talent really, really comes out. And that's what we're seeing. Well said. All right. Well, I want to get to the second half. I do
1: want to get to Eddie and Kedia's performance, which I think had phases of it. Um, things he did well, things, you know, that I think were the byproduct of, of the nervousness and the focus on him having to be the guy. I, I mean, who would want to be Mudrick's agent today? The guy is literally posting videos of him watching the Arsenal game while all three of our forwards score goals in a beautiful victory. <laughs> and you've got Shakhtar saying, you know, your bid's too low. I'd be like, all right, buddy, well, we don't look super desperate right now, do we? I mean, maybe, but who knows? Um, and, and and the thing I'll say, too, about the second half, like this is why I think the football Arteta has installed is, is so special. You know, there are game plans that when you fall behind have to be ripped up and revised, right? And I think that's really hard. I've set out the team to play this way. I've picked the players to play a certain way. I've got the team I want out there, and then you fall behind, and now it's do I have to make a panic sub at halftime and do I have to totally adjust my system because we have to play from behind – But when your game is we just dominate the ball and dominate the territory and dominate the chances, that works basically from any game state. You know, when you're up like we were at the end, 100,000 passes, they can't get the ball game over. When you're down like we were, you know, 70% possession in the attacking third and loads of chances eventually gets you back in the game. It is a very flexible and durable and sustainable approach to playing. And so you're not asking the players to have three game plans going into the game. You know, it's, it's not a Spurs situation of, well, we'll counterattack, but then if we play from behind, we have to change everything. So I, I think that's that's a huge advantage of it. Let's do this. Let's, let's go to the second half and get to the goals. Um, I am going to be watching highlights of this game over and over again, including match of the day. But in order to do that, I have to geolocate my internet slightly differently. And you know who can help you do that? NordVPN, because they give you full creative freedom when it comes to the presentation of your internet, right? Are you missing out on a favorite show because it's not available in your region? If you have a family, you know the show Bluey. If you don't have a family, you should know the show Bluey because it's really just a heartwarming and lovely show. But the new season of it came out in Australia. You know what you can do? You can change your region with a VPN like NordVPN, okay? There's 5,000 server options. No show is out of your reach. You can use our link, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenal vision. You get a huge discount on the two-year plan and a free month. So like you sign up, You get a huge discount. You use the free month. You try Match of the Day or Netflix in another region or whatever it is. And if you don't like it, you can cancel. There's no worries. There's also threat protection, right? So they're going to keep you safe from malware. Uh, They can block intrusive website ads. So if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in, deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. And don't forget, there's literally no risk with the 30-day money-back guarantee, so give it a try. And if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened, um, kind of like West Ham would like to with their trip to the Emirates. Check out our link, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision to get your subscription started today. And when you're surfing the internet, the most important thing is that your mind and your body are one. And the way you can keep your body healthy is with AG1 from Athletic Greens. I take it every morning, little scoop. In some water, by the way, I'm using the travel packs while I'm here, away from home. Those come with your subscription today, your sign-up today. Um, It's basically 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. What does it take care of? Well, it promotes gut health, which I needed. It was something I, I was having an issue with. Nervous system, immune system, energy, something I wanted because I was relying on caffeine a bit too much. Recovery, focus, and aging. So, all the things now, a couple of things you should know about it's lifestyle friendly. So, if you eat keto, paleo, vegan, daily free, gluten free, no problem. Contains less than one gram of sugar. So, really healthy. It's not like all those gummy vitamins you have on the shelf. Get rid of those, get this. Costs you less than the price of a healthy cup of coffee, uh, a healthy cup, a uh, fancy cup of coffee a day, and has over 7,000 five star reviews. So, come on, make it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs when your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, Clive?
3: Is that enough of that? Indeed.
1: Okay. I felt good. Get back in the saddle. Clive, second half, we come to life. We we just praised Odegaard to the rafters as he deserved. But if he hadn't had the game he had, they could have just called this the Saka cast because Bukayo Saka was killing people. Dropping shoulders, you know, you know he's going to cut in on his left. You can't stop him doing it. Wins fouls, holds the ball up. He, you know, it wasn't just that. He was tackling back. He, he, did, he recovered the ball so many times in this game to keep us in uh, on the attack and prevent West Ham from breaking up the other side. I, I love that he got the goal. The thing that's interesting about the goal is it's not a hard finish. I mean, I, he, if you watch it again, he will not have an easier goal to score this season. But it's mentally... When you're down a goal and you know this is your chance to equalize, maintaining the composure and being that cool, I mean, he was just so even-keeled in that moment. I thought this was one of the more well-rounded and effective Bukayo Saka performances we've seen this season. And the guy is just getting better and better and better. And between Ben White and Odegaard and Saka, the way that right-hand pod was working was out of this world. Um, I think it's only right that Odegaard provided the opening assist. Saka got the opening goal. And a small thing that I was... Noticing today, rewatching it, Saka doesn't celebrate. He doesn't knee slide. You know what he does? He goes. He gets the ball. He brings it back to the center circle. We were all about the business of winning this game. And you know if if he if it wasn't Odegaard, you could, you could make Bukayo Saka captain. The, the kid is just going from strength to strength, as the cliche says.
3: Yep, yeah, he's um, he stepped up on the leadership side of things big time, and and has done. For a couple of years, and along with Smith Rowe, they just stepped into it. And we thought maybe they're young kids, you know, riding a wave, <laughs> but he's still here. <laughs> he's still here, and he's, just, he's done it at national level as well. He's stepping up in England games and really leading the charge. And I think um what I will say is I think he's almost fooling the world with his smile. He has this lovely persona and this lovely smile. And everyone thinks he's just a kid. Oh, I'm lucky to be here. I don't want to compete. Well, let's see how Declan Rice feel when he just got shoulder barged off the ball, right? And um, Mm -hmm. when he's on it, he's on it. And he's unstoppable, mate. And you don't get to that level. You don't get to that level of competition. Every time there's a new level presented to him, he reaches it and surpasses it. You don't get to that unless you really want to compete and win. And apply your ability at the right moment. and and that's what he's doing. He's 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 almost um, he's playing like an older player that's worked the game out, and he and he plays in little bursts. And when he does, they they're important bursts. Things happen. Uh, I can't imagine a team without him. And for someone, I, I feel this game just tactically, I felt we played much more of a diamond in this game, I, and I think he played like a, a, a right forward. And Martinelli was a little bit more narrow. We 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 control game by our distances. I, I feel we're so good when we're close together. And that's what we do. There were many times in the game when I said the backs were five, six, seven yards inside their half. And that just means we're just squeezing, squeezing, squeezing the game. And all of that time we're in reduced distances we're now playing into the phone box players like Martinelli and Saka just to get in and out of situations and Odegaard. And we put pressure technically on people to come and get us and and Tacker's the best at it. And I still feel that too many fouls against him don't get the cards he deserves. People literally grabbing onto his waist. He's like, the referee's full, sorry for the defender. Well, just book him, mate. So he can't do that. You know, and then, then we then we go. You know, if you book him, then the next one won't take his knee off. Do you know what I mean? Like, just book the man who's grabbing around the waist when he's trying to break inside mm-hmm. from out to in. And then we can play. You know, just play, just just manage the game properly, the laws of the game properly. And so if he has earned the right to get a booking, give it to him. Don't feel sorry for the guy who can't move inside, right? So, yeah, loved what we did. love what he's doing. And you find out about people in adversity, and he's always the one that steps up for me, always.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he just his because his game is so well rounded i think it's easy to lose sight of how special he is right because like you know there's certain players who have a skill that jumps out at you but bukayo is strong he wins the ball back he makes the safe pass he plays the killer pass he can you know curl it with his left foot he can smash it he takes our penalties he's carrying so much responsibility for this team and you know i it says a lot about him because I would not have said this a little while ago that if an easy finish to equalize in a pressure moment was going to fall to anyone in this squad right now, probably want it to fall to him. Um, and that that's not something I would have said. And, you know, little things. I know I mentioned it earlier in the pod, but that headed flick on to Odegaard at the near post, like, that's really clever. That's, you know, that's not an accident or the ball, l- ball lucky. Like, he, he passes it on with his head to Odegaard to the near post whose, you know, finish lets him down for once. Like, it was... It was just a really beautifully well rounded game from Saka. And I do think he has Ben White to thank for some of it. I, I think White has just come on leaps and bounds as a right back. He's he's extraordinary now and he was as good as ever in this game. You know, whatever it was that had been affecting him around the World Cup didn't look any worse for wear with it. Um and his relationship with Odegaard better than ever. Tim, I'm curious your thoughts on the other flank, though. I think there were times in this game that the left flank you know, wasn't firing in the way it always has this season. I think we knew that one thing that was going to happen with Jesus being out is that the left side was going to have to be rethought a little bit because Jesus did like to drift over there a little bit more. Um, He had developed a huge rapport with Martinelli, who I think had provided him the most chances this season, you know, so that there was something happening there. And, you know, Zinchenko, who I think is a little more natural in the attacking third left half space area, unlocks that too. I felt that the sort of Shaka, Tierney, Martinelli side of this was not as influential early on, and so I love that Martinelli then winds up, you know, scoring the goal that gives us the lead in a beautiful near post finish. But what's your thought on the development of the, the left hand side and how that's going to have to adjust with Jesus out? Because for me, that was the flank that looked a little less, um, a little less involved than, than we've maybe been used to seeing this season so far.
2: Yeah, it definitely was in the first half. Um, in the first half, that's all on my side. So I have I've like a mm. slightly better view of it. And I could see a few times Martinelli getting a bit frustrated because he wanted that quick switch um, over to him and it wasn't quite coming because you know what he does. Can I ask you something about that? Yeah, sure. Cause, sorry, because I'm glad you mentioned that because there was one thing. There were a couple moments in that first half where
1: Gabriel – was like screaming with his hands up at Saliba, pointing over to yeah, Martinelli, yeah, yeah. standing on the left touchline. And I guess Saliba, who a little rusty, didn't have his most progressive passing day, didn't want to make that ball. But you're right, that that switch was on, and he was just, he was not getting it. And and, and yeah. even Gabriel Magalias was like, Trying to make the point, get it over there.
2: Yeah, exactly. And Martinelli, and, and, you know, again, I I think you guys did a good job on this on the instant reaction about Martinelli was coming inside a little bit more as well. I mean, we know he does that anyway because he usually swaps with Jesus. But, um, you know, if you're going to do that, actually Tierney's like quite a nicely matched left back. And actually we've seen Tierney and Martinelli work together well before. Um, for that exact reason so it's just a slight reworking because yeah we're missing like a couple of players there ideally we'd have Zinchenko there and ideally Jesus would be there and that's when you can see that's the full machine where everyone knows where everyone is blindfolded Um, and it's not only that we haven't quite got that but you know the whole like Martinelli coming inside a little bit more that doesn't have to be about like babysitting in Ketia it's It's just because he's a different player with different qualities and you've got to play to the qualities of the players that you've got, particularly of your strikers. And that that doesn't have to mean like, oh, he's rubbish and he needs someone to hold his hand because I certainly don't think that's what happened in the game. It's just we got a different guy who's got different qualities here. We've got to find a slightly different way to make it work. So I I think you're right. That left-hand side wasn't firing as much and and like it made total sense to try and funnel more of the play through the right hand side in the first half because all the parts are there like Ben White and Saka like their relationship is just absolutely unreal at the moment the pair of them with Erdogan over there like that's the bit that's been like that for is it every Premier League game there was one game Erdogan missed away at Brentford I think otherwise you're looking at every Premier League game that little triangle on the right has been there so of course you play through it and parties there and you know it's it's just and it wasn't like that the left side was bad it just Took a little while for them to get into the game, and like you said, what eventually happens in the second half, we get a goal down there. Um, it's Xhaka teeing up Martinelli to score, so you know it's 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 not exactly a, a disaster. And and you know, in the, the, this is when you can tell a team's played well because what are we? Because when you analyse, it's not enough to just spend 90 minutes saying, we played well, didn't we? You kind of look for why, you kind of look for the wrinkles and what have we spent the most time on? Like the West Ham goal, which we come to the conclusion was something to do with like half a second's worth of timing. And, and you know, we're talking about somewhere where we actually eventually delivered a goal. And and so, yeah, it, it might take some time. And look, we're going to play some better teams um, in the coming weeks. So, you know, it's well worth looking at these wrinkles because it could be like we were like on the right, we were like 100%. On the left, we're probably at 85 to 90. That probably went up as the game went on. And against West Ham, that'll win you the game. Um, Might not win it for you against Newcastle. It might not win it for you away at Spurs. It might not win it for you home to Man United. It might win some of those games. It probably won't win all three of them. So it's something we've just got to work on. Um, over the next couple of weeks. But I kind of think the good news is that people talk about the Christmas sh- schedule being really packed. I really don't think it is that packed, really. Like, we've got five days for Brighton, then three days after that, and then, like, six days, to, the, and then six days, and then seven It's more seven just going to be the drumbeat
1: like, of games, like, from here to the end of the season. We don't get the, yeah. like, three games in five days thing you normally get with the Christmas. Yeah, and period, look. But you just have it all season. Yeah, <laughs> and
2: look, you can see... Um, why it was important to go out of the League Cup and why, as time's gone on, yep. I've moved from a fairly neutral position on that Brighton game to the position that you were in, Elliot, which is, actually, let's just lose this game because we do not need other January fixtures. And yeah, I, that, that's how I look at it. So yeah, it's it's a slight wrinkle. It didn't really impact us on the night, but it's, it's one we're going to have to work on. I imagine, I hope that Zinchenko will probably be fit enough um to come in and add a little bit more kind of familiarity and technical uh smoothness um on that side. And and sorry, I know this is a really long answer, but I, I you know, I I don't necessarily think we'll have like a big Tierney discussion or anything like that. But, you know, the the only thing I thought in the second half was just like the amount of times the guy needs the physio. And this is not a complaint about his fitness because he didn't go off injured. It's just like why are you down all the time? It's because you're in collisions all the time. Why are you in collisions all the time? Like Zinchenko, you know, and look, Zinchenko has not proved himself to be any more physically durable than Tierney so far, but like there's, it's just silkier when Zinchenko's there. He's not getting smashed into every two minutes because no one's near him. Whereas Tierney, it's very like conflict combat kind of stuff. And he's down every couple of minutes because he's getting smashed. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I I just think that we know who our ideal left back is as well.
1: Tierney's first instincts carry the ball towards his man, towards the defense, towards the attack. They're like, Tierney, Tierney either wants to overlap and bomb on, right? But it's not even, I'm not trying to make the push and run or, you know, just overlap comment. Just in general, first action with the ball is a carry, usually. I feel like that's his instinct. Whereas Zinchenko's first action is a pass. You know, and and the bomb is faster than the man, and I think everything just ticks over a little bit better. It's also that, like, that interior position, just standing in the half space doesn't mean you understand the interior position that well. Like, there's, there's a way that Zinchenko finds avail- places to be available that are a little different than what Tierney does. And, like, <clears throat> I think I said this in the Discord. Kieran Tierney is probably the best backup fullback in the league, bar none. He is... You couldn't ask for a better backup fullback. There's two problems. One, Kieran Tierney surely doesn't see himself as a backup fullback. He's too good for that. And two, he's not the same style of player as our starting fullback. And so that, you know, those two things are are at odds. But you're right. We don't need a big Tierney conversation because you know, 55 minutes in feels a little late to have a big Eddie and Kedia conversation. And it's weird because you know, Eddie becomes the star of the game in a way. He wasn't the best player. That was Odegaard. He wasn't the second best player. That's close for Saka. He wasn't the third best. I, I have Ben White as that. Um, you know, was he the fourth best with Martinelli? I don't know. It's up to you. But like, or, or party, or, you know I mean, you could keep going down the list. But he was the most important player in the sense that this guy went into the game knowing that for three weeks, everybody's been saying, is this kid going to be good enough to keep Arsenal top when Jesus is out? No one is Gabriel Jesus. Gabriel Jesus' replacement is not walking through that door. So, what Eddie and Kedia had to find a way to do is be the best Eddie and Kedia he could be and help Arsenal win football games. And I think he did that in this game. The goal itself, Clive, is an absolute thing of beauty. And it is, if you looked in a textbook and said, What does center forward play? This is what you'd see a run to break the defense's line, a pinning of a defender on his back rolling the defender because he gets too tight and he can feel him. It's almost like a mini thing of what, uh, Lukaku did to, um,
3: Pablo Marie, Marie,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then where do you, how do you shoot? Do you smash it? No, low and hard across the keeper, right? The Theo Walcott finish. And, and it's, it's just perfect. And I'm so happy for him because I think in the first half, when the pressure was on, it would have helped him so much if we got that opening goal, because that back heel to Saka would have been his involvement, his assist. He was doing the nice roll the defender thing throughout the game. He was trying to do that. But there were ones, I mentioned the one where Ramsdale does the beautiful throw out. Shaka feeds him. And it's on for Saka, but I'm the striker. Do I shoot? And the, the moment missed him. It, I don't know if we want to go too deep on the fact that the goal comes from when we finally have the lead and maybe some of the pressure's off. But I, I do want to praise him for that goal. And I think this takes a lot of the pressure off him now, Clive, Uh, for people just doing that extra level of scrutiny on how will Arsenal play without Jesus?
3: Yeah, I've discussed Eddie, and I think one of the things that I, I do find a little bit frustrating, if you discuss a player and you try to look at ways he can improve, you end up falling into a camp. And I don't want to fall into a camp when it comes to a player. You can just discuss him. Saliba was late. Am I in a Saliba's not good enough camp? You know? or Yes, yeah, it, i yeah, always thought so. Yeah, it's like... And, um, <laughs> and I, th- I I, I want to be able to discuss it. And one of the things I said recently, and I don't like repeating analysis because I think it's more important that a listener remembers what you say rather than you repeating it. But we spoke about... Angles of receiving the ball, being prepared to receive it. If you're prepared, you can do your turn, and that's your super strength. If you're not prepared, you become a trampoline. You arrive late at pace. You're getting there late. So the the coaching message is: read the game, read the game, then you're prepared to receive it. When you are prepared to receive it, Eddie, you are a top player because you've got a surprise turn in your back pocket. Now, please, I urge you to watch the goal. Odegaard forms a triangle Eddie You're not going to have
1: to urge anyone to watch this goal yeah. like, People are going to be watching it
3: nonstop. <laughs> but I really want you to watch it really, really closely like, If you watch it, Ben White has the ball It's actually a bad pass when Shaka out to Ben White Because he doesn't fizz it on the ground It bounces to Ben White Ben White fixes that problem fixes, Flicks it over the guy's leg And Odegaard sees that he needs to get to him now Because he can't have more than two touches Odegaard forms a triangle Bang. And Eddie then sees. you know what? I can see this triangle developing. Let me start to prepare to receive the ball. And what does he do to prepare to receive the ball? He goes and finds his man. His man doesn't go and find him. He goes and finds the man. I need to know where he is because I know what I'm going to do. He goes and finds his defender, feels him, rolls to his strong side, one touch hit, don't look at the goal, side name. That is perfection. That is exactly what I was saying. Get yourself prepared. If you're prepared to receive it and you read where the game is going, you can show your strength and you can show your skill. And that's what a coach has to do. When you have a superpower, you have to position that player to make sure he maximises the thing that he does really, really well. And that is touch hit, instinctive finishes in the box. When you get in the box, you've got to be clean. If you're clean, you can show everybody what you can do. If you're untidy, then people remain remember you being untidy in the crucial part of the pitch. And then then Twitter goes mad. And I just wanted to really highlight that. That's exactly what we spoke about in the, in the pre-game, the pre-season game, sorry, Elliot. And I think, Eddie, in that moment, Showed exactly what you can do when you're the type of player that wants to learn, wants to develop, wants to listen, and trust me, that is the most important thing. We've got a, we've got our record signing running around at Nice right now. No one saying come back to the club. No one saying it, right? Why? Because he doesn't learn. He hasn't developed. He's not part of the show. He doesn't play our style. We got a kid from an academy. Has come up that we've. I've had doubts about, but I cannot dismiss the fact his improvement over the last year has been significant, and that tells you about the player and the person that he is, and that is almost well, it is way more important than the than the talent. If you haven't got that, your talent will never come out. I just wanted to say that, mate. I Hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, I I think it makes sense, and like. The interesting thing about Eddie is everything's a small sample size with him. He just hasn't played that much in his career. But if you look at the data, if you like XG, if you like shots, if you like goals, like he's incredibly consistent, actually. He's a goal scorer. He is a goal scorer. It's the other stuff, you know, and, and I just think maybe we don't get as much of the other stuff with him that we got with Jesus, but maybe we do get more goals and maybe we do, you know, or or as many goals and that, that can be fine. You know, I think the thing people lose sight of is no one should expect your backup striker to be as good as the star signing striker you pried away from Manchester City, a Brazil striker like that nobody has that. If Holland goes out, the backup isn't as good. You know, that that's how football works in most places. Um, but can he be good enough? And I think this was such an important night because if we hadn't won and if he had missed some of those chances like he did in the first half, wasn't as decisive, the only story would be Arsenal can't stay top without Jesus. It's not going to happen for them. Ketty is not going to... like, And then he would be wearing that. But instead, his teammates pick him up. Odegaard and Sack and Martinelli pick him up and put him in a position where with a lead, second half, he can have the perfect striker's goal and alleviate some of those concerns and doubts to the people that had them. But I think more importantly take the temperature down on the scrutiny so that he's not carrying the burden of Arsenal's title hopes rest on Enquetia filling in for Jesus. And and I think that burden has been lessened, and that's why this game feels so important for him. Tim... What would you make of the the enkedia performance overall
2: yeah, sure, I, I just wanted to add on his goal um, i, I don 't know Clive whether you saw Dion Dublin was on match of the day and he did, uh, did the analysis yeah. of it and it 's really, really good because he points at, i mean first of all. Yeah, like in Ketty, he sees it like when White has the ball, he makes the movement because he can see everything unfolding. And that's, again, that's, that's a lot of work goes into that, into players being able to do that. But Dublin was pointing out how he felt the defender with both hands so that he knew exactly where he was. So if you watch it, I think he goes with his right hand first and he turns a little bit and he goes with his left hand. So he's like, right, because obviously he hasn't got time to turn and look at him. So, and he doesn't try to grab him with both hands. So it's a foul or anything like that. He does little right hand, little left hand. So he knows exactly where he is. And he's like, right, know where I am now. And I want, I'm going to spin him. And when you watch it from behind the goal, like, I forget the name of the West Ham centre back. Who, to be fair, I think is not usually a centre back. Yeah, he's a, yeah, I think he's he's a right there.
3: back normally from yeah, P.S.G. Yeah,
2: like, yeah, yeah. He's halfway out the stadium when Inketia turns him, <laughs> and that's 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 not just like a nice trick or slight of foot. That's a physical feat because he's like. He's put his arms out and he understands where he is, knows where the goal is. We all know that Eddie and Ketty, and, you know, that old coaching thing about the goal never moves kind of thing. It's the players that move. It's the ball that moves. And his awareness of all of that, just absolutely top draw. I was thrilled for him when he got that goal because, honestly, I I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was really, really good in the first half. The first thing he does in the game is turn... A West Ham defender with his back to goal, and that to me, because like I knew, he knew as well. Like everyone's eyes are on him, you know. Whether whether you're probably more towards my side and you think I I think he's better than people think, um, or whether you're more on the skeptical side, like Paul said on the instant reaction, right? Wherever you stand, you're looking at Eddie (laughs) uh, because it's all like such a small sample size. And the first thing he did was took the ball with his back to goal and spun. West Ham defender, and, and it was like, here we go, here we go. And honestly, I, I've, I've been a little bit surprised um, by, I, do, I don't know, maybe I'm f- trying to fight preconceptions too much and over-eulogising uh, certain things. I think if Gabriel if um, Nketiah played last night with a Gabriel Jesus mask and nine Jesus on the back of his shirt, the only thing that would have stuck out is the goal that's the only thing that made you go oh i didn't realize gabriel jesus could could be like that in front of goal i thought he did everything else really really well particularly in the first half that's a wonderful assist for saka for the offside goal brilliant link up play just so sharp to know to make that it's such a shame you know for him really that that goal got chalked off because that's brilliant centre that, forward yeah. play like lovely run deft touch I thought he was doing that all night I thought he was great with so Tim, his back to goal
3: Tim what was the vibe in the stadium did you feel a frustration against him or did you because online I I, on, I didn't do much online but I think it's time to stop that rubbish stream games because you <laughs> but there were people saying online there was a lot of frustration did you sense any that in the ground
2: no, at all or- no 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 not at all not at all and don't, and don't get me wrong like there, there wasn't like uh, there was uh, there was an Eddie Chant I think it was after he scored actually like because um, he chased the ball into the channel and held it up um, and you know, took a little bit of pressure off of us. It get it's so weird, isn't it? It's such a like such a twenty twenty two thing. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing that we've got a striker and we're going. Oh, we know he can score goals, but can he run channels, hold the ball up, you know, do stuff like that? And and it's so it must be so weird for a striker to come into a team and think. That's what people are really looking for. People almost don't care if I actually score. But the the only thing that struck me about him was I thought around about 60 minutes, he really ran out of gas. He was really tired. Like again, I see what the strikers look like when the ball goes away from them and they have to jog back into position. And he was hands on his hips. He he was blowing. And and I understand that, right? Because he hasn't played a lot of 90 minute games for quite a long time. So I, I think it kind of stands to reason. That was the only thing for me that really differentiated is Jesus' performance. And I was thinking, okay, it obviously he's not going to be able to do that straight away. But we've another game in 5 days he's got to be able to do it again for 90 minutes then we play newcastle two days later he's got to be able to like and, and th- this is the thing off the back of this game he's passed the first big test in a massive way and then when he get he gets the goal i think at his lowest physical ebb and after that there was a bit more of a spring in his step and you saw it but you know i, I guess the, the only question i come away with and and it can only be amended with games and time is is he ready to go 90 minutes at Brighton, 90 minutes against Newcastle? Really don't know what we're going to do, who we're going to play up front against Oxford. Um, But, you know, is he ready to put together 90 minutes back to back? And that's the thing, I I put it in our WhatsApp group. I loved his answer to the question he was asked about, did you feel extra pressure um, because of everything Gabriel Jesus has done? And he just said, this is Arsenal there's always pressure and that is exactly the way to think about it, not to make too big a thing of it. And and that's what it looked like to me because I, I think there could have been some nerves maybe in the first, well, not maybe, in the first half, I think there were a couple of times where that final action, he was a little bit hesitant and that's maybe where it was like, well, do I pass here? What would Gabriel Jesus do here? But then, you know, we see in the second half, the final action, it's like, yeah, actually, Eddie, when you're in the 18-yard box, do you, mate, because <laughs> you're probably the best at the club at that. So do you when you're in those spaces. But everything he did outside of that space, I thought was really, really good. And I really, really don't think we, I, I don't think this game turns out any different than if Gabriel Jesus had played. And that's probably the biggest compliment I can give him.
3: Yeah, that, that's really fair. I think I, I do think um, he. I think the point you made there, Tim, about being him is the really is the really key one. I think the way I look, at if you look at our front four, their 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 output is quite good. If you look at even recent games, touches are quite even, like forty touches each. You know what I mean? And and I'm looking at the game thinking, I hope we still get that level of even spread because that's our trick. It isn't so much about one person doing something, although we all know Jesus has come in and we feel more confident with him in the team. He's got four league medals in his back pocket. So when we go back to Eddie, we have to manage that emotion feeling. And I, I'm quite put my hand up, and said I, I was worried, I panicked, I panicked. We we need a signing. We we still need a signing, in my opinion. But my panic is less today because I thought within the group we found nuance to actually adjust to him, and adjust to the fact by using Odegaard, Sacro, and Martinelli slightly differently to make sure we use that front four unit that maybe took some of the pressure off of him. I do think from this goal, if ever a goal is going to boost someone's confidence, that is the goal. And your point about his energy, someone on Discord made that to me as well today. I didn't notice that uh, as I watched the game first time around. I just didn't see it. Oh, something you see in the ground a little bit more, Tim. But I thought when he scored that goal, it was the perfect timing. And after that, he how light-footed did he look? He was just running across yeah. the ground. And it's like that he's done it before. He's scored for us before. But I felt that moment was almost like his coming-out moment, you know, where he felt, I really now belong around this group. You know, it just looked different. You know, so um, so yeah, fair play to him. Fair play.
1: I, I do think we have to fight the urge. Look, this is this is a this is a thing that just happens. I think in modern football discourse, because everything is so immediate. You said this, Clive. People get put in camps, and so you get put in the camp of. You know, I I don't like Eddie. I'm an Eddie, I'm a non-Eddie person, or you get put in the camp of I'm an Eddie supporter. My wife, who is a saint, has just brought me coffee, which I have not had, had yet today. So the podcast, the last 10 minutes of the podcast is going to be the best. Um, but And because you get put in camps, then I think nuance goes out of the discussion at times, right? And I want to be clear. like I'm just speaking for myself here. No, let me rephrase that. I'm speaking for everyone on the pod and all Arsenal fans everywhere. No, I'm kidding. Um, I thought this was a mixed performance for Eddie. Tim, I'll, I'll slightly disagree with you. In that, I thought in the first half, maybe some of the pressure showed in the things that I actually identify Eddie being really good at. Eddie is decisive. He is, ext- sometimes to his detriment, right? He will we'll take the shot on when there's a better option. It's like, but like, I mentioned the one where Ramsdale has the really good throwout. And Shaka plays the ball forward to Eddie. And he carries it a little way. And he has to de- decide, am I going to take the man on, or am I going to give it to sack? Am I going to take the shot early? And he, and he waits, and the, the chance goes back. That could happen to any player, by the way. Not just saying just, you know, this is the problem, right? When you say it's mixed, people be like, oh, well, you know, other players can have, yes. Other, like Gabriel Jesus has had mixed performances. Like It's not that I, I'm saying Eddie is bad or good. I think where the, where the internet frustration happened was a two-play two sequence. Right after the penalty, we went up the other end, and there was a guilt edge chance for Eddie that he didn't get a shot off. And then almost immediately, the next action—do you remember the sort of tame shot he took from the left channel that, like, over got the blocked? Bar. It was kind of like
3: there's one over the bar shot. N- no, this is the one channel. that was just
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it was just kind of a tame shot. And those two things happened in quick succession right after we had just conceded, and so our frustration was at a high. And I think that's when the internet was starting to go, Eddie. You know, I thought that that. He was doing a lot of good Eddie stuff, turning a man, definitely was rolling his man. He was trying to get involved in some of the buildup. I think he still has to Eddie's instinct is to make the little darting run in behind. and he and he does it well. I think he still has to layer in when to, you know, come back to the top of the box, back to goal. I think he'll get some of that. I think in the second half, he definitely, as the whole team did, lifted his game. I thought he looked better. I thought he looked more complete. After the goal to Clive's point, the guy was on cloud nine. But here's the point. If you've got a striker who's not as complete as Jesus, but can give you one goal a game with brilliant center forward play, like that's fine too. He this I cannot emphasize this enough. Eddie's job is not to be a Jesus doppelganger. Eddie's job is to... Give us things at center forward that we need to be able to win games. And he absolutely did that, and he absolutely deserves the plaudits for doing that. So I think there's there's more to come there. Um, and And I, I do think, Clive, one of the really important things about the goal he scores, my concern was, I, I think Eddie's a great transition player. I think he's a great penalty box poacher. But I was sort of like, can Eddie be part of us unlocking low blocks, right? Can he help us? On, and that, that goal he scores, they're in their low block. Right? It's a one, two, three, one touch passing move to Eddie who's dropped into the perfect position. Like I, I like that it wasn't a goal on the transition when West Ham are pushing to equalize and he's running into space. I like that it was a low block goal. So uh, thoughts on any of the, the points I've made there and, and whether they, they're incoherent as often is the case.
3: No, not incoherent at all. I thought that was oh, excellent. And yeah. you even had Tim nodding there, right? And I think uh, I I do think No he he was not he got a text message. <laughs> I do think um, there are, when you walk into a ground and you walk into a room, you walk in with a set of emotions. And if those emotions get answered, you walk out of them emotions feeling heightened. I'm so glad to speak to Tim today because he's got that feeling, a slight different connection. I think why I love Eddie's goal is it outlines our principles to me more than almost any goal we've scored. We've scored length of the pitch passing moves. But that goal, it wasn't smooth. It went from a bumpy pass to a fix a problem, Ben White, and then the forming of a triangle. And that is what we do. We are a big rondo. That's what we are. We are rondo after rondo after rondo. Then we switch the point of attack to create isolations. Then we come back to a rondo, 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 rondo. That's what we are. That's the base principle of what we do when, run, when we're in possession. And when we don't create a line, in a rondo. sometimes you rat-a-tat a pass and you split people. Like for those coaches and people that play football and do rondos in warm-ups, you know what I mean. You go one, two, three, split. Split the two players coming towards you, and then you create an isolation, or you create an overload somewhere else. Then you focus on something called fast support. Get to the, the player in isolation, quicken in the opposition. Fast support, overload, chance. Right. So, and to watch that goal form and to see Eddie absolutely on point, timing wise, ready to go because he can see what's coming, is the most encouraging thing. Because now he's playing our football. Right, about managing to put his bit on top. So I do think, fortunately, where well, I'm incredibly lucky, talking to you two gentlemen, that we can have this discussion without... And we all know we can see some sense within what each of us have all said. Do you know what I mean? We can have this discussion yeah. appropriately. And we we have a slightly different starting point, but our end point is we really want him to succeed. That's for sure.
1: Of course. And I, I think... It, it... <laughs> It doesn't have to be said at this point. I, I think anybody listening to this, like, knows we love and, and trust and respect everyone listening to understand where we're coming from and, uh, you know, that we try to understand, take on board where you're coming from. I don't think it needs to be said at this point that, like, if you're critical of a player, you're still rooting for the player. You know what I mean? And And I'm not even being critical in terms of saying it was a bad game. I'm saying I think I saw the progression of Eddie in this game. I think the one that's going to be interesting is the next one because this one was the one where he got the – he got the monkey off his back, sort of, right? He got the, the pressure of what will you be in the absence of Jesus? And I do think there's something really poetic with the January window opening and everybody focused on you, know, Zhao Felix and Mudrick and who are Arsenal going to sign and Jesus is out. And what happens? Our right forward scores a goal. Our left forward scores a goal. Our center forward scores a goal in a 3-1 win. And to wrap this up, Tim... I don't know if it's because Arsenal football's been gone so long. This felt like a special night. It didn't just feel like we won a home game in the Premier League. I, I don't know if it's because everybody in the world wanted to see if Arsenal are really... what Was it a fever dream? What happened before the World Cup? You know, can they... prove? Oh, there's no Jesus. This is where they'll unravel. And then you go behind... And it's right there for everybody to doubt us. But the football was dominant. The goals flew in. The win was comprehensive. We killed off the game, not by clinging on, but with a 100,000 thousand passes, as, as Arteta would say. This was a confirmation. And I think for all of us who were worried that maybe it had been a bit of a dream, this, this felt bigger than just one game. And... and and it was a lovely occasion, and with Arson back, it just I think elevated that. So, just overall, the the relevance of this win for you did it did it feel like more than just the next Premier League
2: game in the in the fixture list? It, it definitely did. I know Clive made the comparison before the game with the Palace game, the opening game of the season, where it's like, okay, we were good uh, last season, we missed out on our targets, but we know there's something growing here. We're having a good preseason. We signed good players and. Players that we know, um, we can kind of see where they might fit in, but you know that first night at Palace, it's like this is a we got you know we got crunched here a couple of months ago, like what what you know what what what's going on here kind of thing, and we instantly answered that question, and it just created that kind of momentum. Now, obviously, winning this game doesn't mean that we're definitely beating Brighton, definitely, but you know there's still other games to go. But what it is, it just Now, it looks to me like the players didn't have maybe some of the doubt that we've had over the last six weeks Mm. that that I think completely understandably has fermented. Even without the Jesus injury, you'd get the, well, has that taken our momentum away? What's it going to be like getting all these players back from the World Cup and all of that? And to me, it looked like business as usual, um, both in terms of the crowd and the players. I'm really pleased it was a home game. Um, just like instantly everyone was back on that level when we went 1-0 down big chant of you know Arsenal and big support and again arteta referenced that and it just felt like we'd never been away and that's exactly what we wanted because it was really good <laughs> before it all stopped and so it just it just, what it does it doesn't guarantee any result in the future and so you know we can't and i'm sure the players won't but we can't just sit here and think well brighton are just going to you know meet off the bone they're just going to fall off now like that's going to be a really really hard game and another test like every game's an exam but just getting this first one and not only, you know, like Clive said all this at the beginning about it being a challenge, but but also doing it consummately. You know, this wasn't like mm-hmm. the last 10 minutes I was looking up and going, uh, you know, because there was a train strike in the UK, so a um, bit difficult to commute home. And it was just like, mm-hmm. do I go now? Like, do I go on 85 minutes? Do I go on 87? Do I go on 91? Kind of thing. You know, I was thinking about my journey home basically for the last for the last ten minutes of the game. And that's how you can tell it's over, um, basically. And you start your mind starts wandering. And that's what I was doing in the last kind of five, 10 minutes, because I just felt the result was so, so safe. And I think that was important as well. It well, it if it had been a bit of a nail biter, you know, it would have been like a nice bit of adrenaline and all that. But this was consummate and I just thought we were the best team all the way through the game. And even David Moyes said afterwards we were lucky to go one nil up. And that he felt it was a bit of a false position in the game, and it was, and so, yeah, it's you know, it it just it makes me feel Brighton will be really really tough, but I feel better about that game than maybe I did 24 hours ago now, and that's that's all you can ask for.
1: Yeah, to be fair, Brighton away right now might be one of the hardest trips to make in the Premier League. I mean, they're one of the better sides, and that that's a tough place to go. <clears throat> I think the biggest credit, to Arsene, uh Tarsum, <laughs> there you go, to Mikel Arteta is just. His football is anti-fragile, and what I mean is like it, it is a type of football that gives you the best chance to take max points, and we see it whenever we play. You know when it really struck me, guys? The first pre-midseason game. Who was it? Was that Lille? Was it Lille? The first pre-midseason pre-mid- uh, game? Yeah, yeah. Le- Leon, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Lacazette Derby. Um, and you know what we looked like? With a ragtag group of different players, and you know, in a meaningless game, we looked exactly like Arsenal. And whether it was the Uve game, or that game, or this game, the players are where you expect them to be. We have the ball where you expect us to have it. You know, I think Mikel has has put a, a type of football together. He has um, installed a football that we can play consistently, game in game out. Will it win every game? Of course not, but it's the best highest praise I can pay to him is that these players understand what he expects of them and they try to do that every single game and, and it's it's working brilliantly. This was a massive win. Um I can't even believe it, but we are now not just clear of city, but it's actually Newcastle who are closest to us. Now that's with a couple games in hand and city play tomorrow as we record this, but yeah. it's a trip to Leeds. It's not guaranteed points. So we'll see what happens. Clive, if you can manage it in about one minute or so, I'd love to give you the last word here on a special night. For the global fan base, for the fans at the Emirates, for Arsene Wenger returning, and for, you know, the thing I loved, one Arsene Wenger rang out after the second goal. And then after that, the Mikel song rang out, even lustier, and it it was a a respect for the history and the great man who gave us so much history, and then a recognition of the importance of the present and our future, side by side, each getting the respect they're due.
3: Yeah, timing is everything, and the timing of everything last night felt great. Everything about the principles by which the club is run. And many, many of us support Arsenal because of the perceived class that we run by, right? We're a classy club. And last night was a classy night in everything, everything, the way we behaved on and off the pitch, the people surrounding the club. It was class. The way we play football, you seem to be transfigured today about how we're managing to repeat our style. It's all based around strong footballing principles, what to do in possession, how to drop off to create space to receive the ball, to move it to somebody else. The people off the ball have the responsibility to create the lines and the triangles and the diamonds that we need to progress the ball. And if you don't live to those principles and you haven't got a technical ability and the physical ability to react to adversity on the pitch, then I'm afraid it stands out and we are able to all now see what works, what doesn't work and that is down to the manager creating that strong bedrock of football principles that allow us to see this week in week out next phase now what happens when momentum gets stopped what happens when adversity happens something bad happens how can we can recover it's to come it's coming hope we all stay together when it comes but um yeah here we go it's all on mate it's all on
1: yeah, I mean, if you had to criticize Mikel Arteta this season, it would be that he hasn't done a good job preparing us for adversity because he hasn't delivered any. <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> the biggest adversity we face this season is Arsenal going away for six weeks, but it's back back in style, and, and, and what a special night. And so we now look ahead to watch. How nice is this? You know, watch Manchester City tomorrow with no stress. See what they can do. And to Tim's point, they had to play Liverpool right a few days ago so maybe they're two percent less fresh we don't have that problem again because of the brilliant decision to n- not stay in the league cup it's all coming up arsenal right now hope you're enjoying it love you so glad to have it back and uh we will have a rewatch of this on the patreon side later on this week we'll have another main podcast coming up for you later this week i would imagine and, and then everything rolls on because it's going to be busy from here on out tim's on twitter at thank you tim
2: my pleasure as always
1: clive's on twitter clive pfc and clive thank you very much my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at to We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Brighton no.